Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Chris Schiffer on the line. Chris, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Michael. Great to have you here. I love the work that you do. So I'll just share a little bit about you and we'll dive into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're a, we're a lower middle market investment bank, uh, heavily focused on digital consumer products. Uh, we offer uh, several different products within our investment bank, uh, one of which is probably the, the, the sexiest, <laughs> which is uh, mergers and acquisitions, primarily acquisitions. Uh, where we help business owners, founders, you know, co-founders, et cetera, um, families really uh, have that strong liquidity event that they've been, most have been dreaming of one day, right? They've built up a very successful business. They've got it to a specific EBITDA. And now it's a very attractive asset that can be shopped and banked to some real institutional or real, what we call real money, right? Private equity, family offices, corporate strategics, et cetera. And really, that's that's something that we do um, majority of our time. Um, it's actually quite rewarding for us to see small business owners have that liquidity event, and in most cases, really, it changes their station of life. So, we do offer capital raising, um, something we don't advertise, but we do offer it. And we also have a research uh, effort as well that just started a few months ago and it's getting up and running. So, yeah, lower middle market investment bank uh, started by by uh, four guys, myself, my three partners. My three partners came from the institutional. Uh, investment banks, managing directors of you know Wells Securities, Bank of America, JP, City, et cetera. I came from, I'm the black sheep. I came from CPG. So I uh, was a sales and marketing executive for many, many years uh, within baby products and also toy. So uh, yeah, we have a pretty unique uh, outlook. We're very boutique and we're only focused on digital consumer products. That's awesome work. And it sounds exciting too. And especially since you're launching some new endeavors as well as you work with clients and you see opportunities. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's good that they brought, you know, the the CPG person into it that, you know, knows how to market baby and toys. Although yeah. those are those are two industries that tend to do okay on their own, but you st- people won't buy it if they don't know about it. So, you know, we're right. at the time of this recording, you know, we know that we're approaching the holiday season. So toy sales tends to skyrocket and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and baby products uh, that, that depends on how the cycles are going, but you know, mm-hmm. pretty much people need baby products uh, as long as they're still making humans. And uh, so that, that's not going anywhere, but you know, segueing into, you know, this type of thing where, you know, it can be life changing for these you know, entrepreneurs and business owners that you know build their business, and you know they're like moving along and things are going well, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, hey, wait, you know, we actually have something here that um, could actually change us, and instead of the continue to work and build up over time, we say, you know what, we could actually exit this position and mm-hmm. get you know, whatever the value happens to be um, and and be able to you know, completely change the direction of their life going forward. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's really what we talk to folks about a lot. You know, we're, a, we're very much a non-pressure firm and we like to educate and we like to educate about the market. We like to give a, a view and our analysis of where the market's headed, right? Because market forces really, that's what drives most of what um, would determine uh, if you should go to, if you should go and sell your business, really, just to put it, put it simply, you know, other things like, um, 
burnout <laughs> I'm seeing in the, I'm seeing in the background, right? Burnout also is another excuse, not excuse, but a reason to, to sell your business. There's division between partners, there's division between the family. Uh, but what we really see the most of um, is, you know, founders get to a point and they go, I've brought it as far as I think I can bring it. And I know I've got a valuable asset. What's the market going to believe about this asset? What are they going to say? And so that's where we do a lot of consultation and strategic work with our clients to dig in, really get to understand, really, I say clients, but it's really potential clients at that point, to really dig in and get a good understanding of where they are right now, what does the fully optimized version of their company look like, and what is the capital markets going to believe about it? And that's really, in, in essence, that's, a, that's just a more intelligent way of saying valuation for the company. So and we love doing that. <laughs> No, it's a great roadmap. So, uh, for example, you know, because I, you know, a lot of people in the space that I'm in, which is a combination of podcasting, maybe some consulting, some writing, and uh, you know, public speaking kind of thing, where you know they've got you know the the topic or the work that they do in, and they have the show and all of that kind of stuff, but. If you look at the organization, and again, I'm not in you know in anywhere near in the type of situation that you're in with your organization, but an observation that I see is like, okay, yeah, you've got these things, but the product happens to be you. You know, yeah. you're the you're the product. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, last time I checked, slavery is illegal, so you can't sell yourself. I mean, <laughs> you know, the old wrestler Teddy DiBiase say everybody has a price, which is true. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's but, right. You know, so I got a WWE reference, and this is good. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't have that in my checklist, but I think I might, I might add it. And I knew, and I knew who you were talking about. So I mean, Rick Flair lives in. We're in Charlotte, so Rick Flair okay. lives around here. So yeah, we're yeah. big wrestling. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, I won't do a woo, but I was at WrestleMania 23, and when I walked into Ford Field in Detroit, that everyone was doing that. It was such a Amazing, and this was before any matches started. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, everybody's just yelling "woo," and I'm like, "It's like okay, this I'm, I'm, this is going to be a good day." So, but you know, you, so you have a situation like that where, yes, there's you know, content, there's things that are being produced, you know, articles, books, all that kind of good stuff. Right. But still, it's it seems to be that the driving force in the center of that organization is the creator itself. So how how would you work with somebody like that? I and mean, what what are but, some ideas? Yeah, I mean, those businesses are tough, and we don't focus on those types of businesses, you right. know. And 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 typically, it's for a reason, you know. Unless you've got, you know, even even when you've got a celebrity brand, you know, like um, you know, like George Clooney's uh, tequila brand, right, or. Ryan Reynolds aviation gin, you know, they, they hitch their wagon to a product, to a liquor, right. But even post acquisition, you know, they still want them and there's still a contract that they need to at least advertise or stay involved for a time period in a capacity of being the face of the actual company, but that's hitched. They hitch their wagon to an actual product in the case of say podcast and, and, and writers and, um, just anybody who kind of builds themselves up as what we would call a personal brand, um, being sellable at that point, mm, it's tough, but it's a lot of cash flow. So in most cases, if people are doing that, my recommendation is take the cash flow and go buy other things. <laughs> go invest and buy assets that are sellable in the capital markets. You know, it's like don't try and put a square peg in a round hole. Don't try and thread a needle. We could use all the business phrases of just trying to take something extremely difficult and trying to make it 
work or easy, just take, you're making a lot of cash. I mean, you barely have any OPEX when you're a personal brand, right? You've built it up, you've got some staff, but that's about it. You don't really have cost of goods sold. You don't really have any shipping costs, any warehousing costs. You know what I mean? It's all, mm-hmm. you know, you're, it's, it's a fairly, I mean, very, it's just like consulting businesses as well. You know, it's highly profitable. Now, if you build a consulting business, like an IT consulting or an engineering consulting business, um, you know, like in our case, we're a financial services, right? So we're an investment bank, which has four founders. Well, eventually the four founders are going to make their way out of the company and put in place an infrastructure that, you know, we're really just an advisory at that point and we don't have to be involved. So if you have a consulting firm that's focused on engineering, product development, um, you know, whatever it may be, um, business consulting and you're, the founders are no longer involved at that point. Yeah. You know, if you've got real infrastructure and the thing is, is, is spitting off strong cash flow without you having to affect the cash flow as a founder. Yeah. I would say that's a, that's a, that's a sellable business for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, kind of if, if someone's the face, you know, if it's uh Chris Shipfriling consulting and it's clear that I'm the only one that can drive the business, and it's really difficult if I if you pull me out of the business and all of a sudden the thing crashes, yeah. At that point, your at your asset uh, your asset attractiveness is pretty much nil. <laughs> so, hopefully, that answers your question. Oh, it does, and it makes sense. And I know a lot of people have that type of question. So it's like you know. So the I guess and, and you answered you know the the second part of that question is giving some ideas on okay how to make the shift from being the the center of attention the face and the product to or the service to something that is beside you you know whether it's yep. a consulting firm or pro, you know or anything like that yeah it, that you know another organization can say okay you've got a decent book of business or your revenue is here we can take it because we're a little bit larger usually that's how it works and then we can take those resources add it to ours and away we go i, I worked for a software company hmm. a long time ago um i hate doing that math but my original career was accounting and i know how to do that so i look at it and go okay that's kind of wild that it's been that long but they, <laughs> but they were a smaller organization and built up and you know struggled and fumbled around but it got to the point where it did get the attention of one of their competitors, which, yeah. you know, quite frankly, the competitor was like, you're starting to tread into our our space here a bit as far as, you know, we're running into you in competition with quotes and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And they looked at us like, well, one way we can make this uh, go away is we're just going to buy you. And mm-hmm. that's what they did. Yep. And well, and that's, that's right. They did well. That, ha- that, that does happen in a lot of cases like that, you know, where um, it's really just a market share play. Right. You're always in comp with, you know, Michael's company. Chris is always in comp with Michael's company. Chris happens to have more cash flow, a lot more cash flow. And you're now a problem. You're a nuisance. And so I come to Michael and I say, what's your price? Or do you want to merge? Because one plus one equals three. Right. We could possibly just make this into, you know, a giant cash flowing machine. Here's how that works. Here's our kind of efficiencies of scale together, et cetera, et cetera. And in, in a lot of cases, that's what does happen. And you don't probably don't need an inter- intermediary at that point, you know, probably just a really good lawyer, maybe an intermediary, you know, someone like us just to kind of come in and make sure all the, you know, everything's actually merging uh, correctly. 
<laughs> you know, and all the puzzle pieces are being put together in the right way and in the proper way. But for the most part, that's exactly what happens in that world most often. It's, hey, let me go ahead and just buy your book of business or let's merge and bring everything together, right? So, yeah, it's, and uh, we see all kinds of different flavors, and I'm sure that you do all the time where you know, it comes in. It's no, no merger or acquisition is the same. I mean, there may be some things that you know, uh, rhyme, but it, mm-hmm. they're definitely not the same. So you know, what are some of the, I guess, common elements that you see uh, that makes for a successful merger or acquisition from you know, a company that has you know, got some decent cash flow? Yeah. Well, since we're primarily focused in digital consumer products, I'll talk about those tenants, you know, kind of what makes an attractive asset. Um, you know, number one, you've got something that's highly protected, right? So you've got a product that has some level of strong innovation, um, more than likely has a design patent, a utility patent, um, heavily trademarked, um, you know, anything that's associated is also copyrighted, just really strong protection, but innovation drives brand. And so, you know, you've got something that's not commoditized um, and uh, and it is your own. You're not selling other people's product. So that's kind of, I'd say, tenant number one. Tenant number two, you've got an infrastructure in place and you've got sales channels in place that are, uh, you're able to take that particular innovative product or products because that's really what you want is a product suite, right, of the brand. And you're able to put it through a your own website, an Amazon a Target, a Walmart, a Bed Bath & Beyond, um, internationally, et cetera. Um, and, and really anywhere you go with this particular product, it's showing some level of, of growth. And then the uh, that's, that's the second tenant. Third tenant is scale, right? Does it have the possibility to scale? Um, have you reached the apex already? Because if you have, I'm sorry, then you, you might get an exit, but it's going to be a discounted multiple for sure. So that's really what our job is. Our job is to really, we, we call ourselves painters, right? Because we take all the data of the company and we're really trying to show the market the fully optimized version of what this thing could look like two, three, four, five years from now. But you got to have those specific, like any good painting, right? You got to have a good canvas. <laughs> you got to have good paint. You got to have a good painter. You know, you got to have all those things in place. And really our job is to connect the dots and show that fully optimized form. Cash flow, of course, is very important. Now, as an accountant, you fully understand that a lot of small business owners take advantage of owning their own company and so their tax returns. We get this conversation, we have this conversation a lot, especially in lower middle market, because we deal with companies that are about million five, two million to 10 million plus of EBITDA. And so you have a lot of founders, owners, founder and owners, not necessarily second generations or board advisors. So it's really just the first generation and they're going, Hey, I'm negative on my tax return, or I'm not showing any cash. I'm not showing any profit at all. We're like, no, 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 no. That doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, we dig in. We we do a statement of EBITDA, and that's really what what matters most. And so, yeah, you've got to. Once we do that that accounting work, that gap work, one we want to be able to show this is a you know cash flowing entity, and but most importantly, it's actually spitting off which the most important financial metric, which is EBITDA. Um, and being able to show the trade as you go out to market a real EBIT, a true EBITDA number. That's the other thing we could talk about for days. As an accountant, you'll appreciate it. But <laughs> we get all kinds of, of, of documents sent over our way that have all kinds of messiness with it when it comes to the financials. We probably spend, you know, outside of just showing the trade, hey, this is what the opportunity looks like. Michael, we spend, oh my gosh, I can't even begin to tell you, hours upon, you get it, you're, you have an accounting background, hours upon hours upon hours of doing you know, I would call real CPA work, which we do have, we have a, we have a CPA on staff. And so, 
yeah, that's that's the that's the part no one gets to see how the sausage is made and how difficult that really is to kind of get to those real numbers and how much time it takes. So, so basically, someone brings you a shoebox worth of receipts and things and says, "Here," and and you go, "Hmm, okay, yeah, this one's, this this, <laughs> this 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 one's going to take some time because you, what you it feels like sometimes." Yeah, you you basically go from okay advisor to forensics because you're like, okay, basically. what is this? Yeah, and yeah. it's like. Oh, like I, I okay they spent this okay they got paid yeah. for this for what what did you what did you get yeah, and it's like it's no. the truth yeah it's, the it's truth. yeah it's well, the book the books yeah, clean books make life so much easier uh, for everybody well it's interesting too because you know our clients will give us a little bit of pushback because they don't really understand why we're doing it and we tell them because they're like well just give me to market give me to market i want to sell my business and we're like we're not business brokers it's not how we work you know we're not just going to list your they're going to take your data face value and just list your you know, company on some website and send out an email and hope that someone is really interested. You know, The work that we do up front takes a while because basically what we're doing is we're doing a full diligence on the company. And we're trying to find everything that a buyer is going to try and find wrong with it and try and fix it and solution it. And so they buyers in particular, private equity buyers, especially when they're doing their own Q of E, quality of earnings, right? On their side. They focus very heavily on those financials because if they can find one little snag, one little snag, right, just like a sweater, they will do their best to unravel it as fast as possible. So we spend in consumer products, you spend a lot of time on the cost of goods sold, right, and really understanding what your true cost of goods sold looks like, and then just making sure the entire statement of EBITDA, um, you know, recreating those financials. But that statement of EBITDA is very, very clean going out to market. So it helps you, puts you in a position of strength. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of the follow-up question is, you know, what uh, for a clients that would come to you, mm-hmm. and we've already kind of talked about a bunch of it, but what would be your ideal situation for someone to come to you fully prepared to make your life easier as an advisor <laughs> yeah. in this space? I mean, it's like here, here's your yeah. checklist. And you know, when I worked, you know, for a CPA firm, you know, again, even further back than the role I mentioned before, every year, you know, we sent out the tax newsletter, which said, okay, please bring yes. this. Yeah. You do this. <laughs> then right. we can we can get your return back to you sooner. Yeah. And right. you know, I always remember when, you know, processing tax returns, it was like, oh, I, you know, I'd, I'd get to recognize names. And we had thousands of clients and I'd recognize names because I'd like, okay, this one's gonna be clean. I could probably close my eyes and everything would be good to go. And then there was the shoebox people. And yeah. you know <laughs> everything was there. Everything yeah. was there. Unfortunately, but. it was in <laughs> an interesting filing system to say that. That's but, right. But what, what would be some things to make your life easier? Because again, I, I know that yeah. there's people that listen to this show that maybe aren't in this position yet, but yeah. they're they're starting because I've been talking about it a little bit. Saying, you know, think about this. Have this. Yeah. It's kind of like end of life planning. Not a lot of people like doing that, but yeah. Last time I checked, we all come with expiry dates. So um, we do. Come, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. The better prepared you are, the better prepared you'll be. So uh, I'd love yeah. to hear you know, some things yeah, that can no, make your life easier. It's a great question, and I'll probably keep it pretty high level because um, we could get into we could do a whole podcast just about this. But you know, to keep it high level, the short answer really is: come to us as early as possible, right? Because we can give you a very strong analysis of your business, kind of where you are right now. 
And we're always thinking through what's the fully optimized version of your business look like so we can take it out and bank it. And we get a lot of, we get a lot of potential acquirers wanting to bid on the company and really wanting to buy the asset. And so really it's just an asset analysis, right? You know, so they come to us and if you come to me even 18 months before you want to go to market, we do this all the time. I can absolutely at least give you an analysis of the business. We just did this last week. We talked to a guy who's two founders, very interested in going to market. They're in the toy space. Um, we sat down with them. We got all their data, not all of it, some of their data. And we sat down with them for about, I mean, over Zoom, um, for about two hours. And we had a really long discussion. They really want to go to market right now. And we were like, there's a couple holes here. You need to fill this hole, this hole, and this hole. So like one hole might be, yeah, the financials, which, you know, as an, as a, as an investment bank, we are about to actually, you know, talked about the opportunity earlier. We're about to start an advisory um, uh, desk where someone comes to us early and we actually will, will work with them on their financials, you know, much, much earlier. Um, and you, and that's, that's a huge benefit because we're always thinking about it from the lens of, uh, going to market and what's the buyer, what's the buy side going to believe about these, these, these numbers and kind of where you're headed. Um, secondly, it's about, so it's like, it's a quantitative and qualitative analysis is really what I'm trying to say, right? Quantitatively. Yep. We look at your numbers. We see kind of where the holes are. Do you need to, do you need, do we need to re refer you to a really good CPA? You know, we don't have our advisory in place yet, or do you want to use our advisory in the future? Um, qualitatively, it's really kind of going through like this particular client, um, lost a, lost a, a, a significant amount of business in a big box retailer. And they're telling us, oh, but we're going to make it up next year. And we're like, that's not something you can go to buy side with. Like, you got to have that already in place. You know, what's your forecast? What's your projections? How are you actually going to make up this big, big, big hole now? Um, and is it believable, right? So we had a two-hour discussion just around all of the quantitative points and qualitative points. And so that is extremely beneficial to anybody because, you know, I'll... I'll pat ourselves on the back just because of our, our backgrounds and, and who, who we represent as a firm. You know, we're not, I keep saying it and it's, it's very germane because in lower middle market and with business, business owners, founders, small businesses, they don't really have an option of using an investment bank. That's actually why we're, that's why we came down market. You know, a lot of guys who worked in institutional, they, they typically go to middle market, right? They don't necessarily come down to lower middle market with founders and owners. And so we're in a pretty unique position because you call a business broker up and God bless them. They, they serve a purpose, but they're not going to be strategic. They're very transactional. And so as an investment bank, we're highly strategic and we're not only just going to give you qualitative and quantitative analysis on your own business, but we're also going to give you qualitative and quantitative analysis on the market today and where it's headed. Because we're always thinking about the market in the next 12 months, right? And understanding kind of where, is, where are the secular tailwinds? Where are the secular headwinds? You know, what are analysts saying about very relevant um, public equities within the space? We follow the Amazon stock, obviously, right? Because we have to. Um, so anyways, it, hopefully that gives you a little bit of flavor. But the larger point here is the earlier you come to us, you know, and you've got a really strong growing asset, the earlier you come to us, the better um, to give that, that strong analysis. No, that's great stuff. And I anticipate too, especially, you know, with that particular client that you had mentioned about losing, you know, one of the big box stores. We've got that situation. They say, well, we're going to get that next year. Like, well, uh, yeah, supply, <laughs> supply chain, COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. The, the world has been upside down on mm -hmm. certain things. You know, there's, you know, in Detroit, 
Ford Motor Company has hundreds of thousands of F-150s sitting in abandoned parking lots because they can't no get chips. Chip. No yep. chips. And and that is going to have a ripple effect on all it kinds is. of different things. You know, it's, yep. it's still surreal, you know, because I where I live, you know, there's three or four, you know, major auto dealers. None of them sponsor my show. So um, I shouldn't have <laughs> even mentioned Ford, but well, it was a good example. But you, know, you look in their lots and they're pretty much empty. And it's such yeah. a, and my, my first thought when I first noticed it, it's like, is there a tent sale going on somewhere in a big arena yeah, or no. something? It's like, no, there's just, there isn't any cars to sell. No, and, there's none. And That's right. So as a business owner too, you know, they're like, okay, I'm, you know, I want to take it to market. You know, you may look at it and go, and again, understanding what the market looks like, depending on whatever they are as a business, I would anticipate you say, it may not be the best time or it could, it could be, you know, it really depends on yeah. the situation. It does. No, you're right. And I mean, our, our job as a strategic investment bank too, is to make sure that we can defend supply chain issues and we can defend it really well. I mean, our research head, um, he actually ran the public equities, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, the equity research desk for Deutsche on transportation and supply chain logistics. And so, you know, that topic so happens to be something we're very well versed on. And so when buy side, when we take something out and we recast financials to show a normalized supply chain in the business, because this is a not, this has been an anomalous, right? The entire year has been a full anomaly. Um, we can defend our position on that by real data and showing kind of like the logistics managers index and showing where that's headed and you know why we are why we took these particular financials and ripped out a bunch of cost and normalized the pro forma based on where we believe and where we know the market's headed. Jamie Jamie uh, Diamond today or Dean, yeah Diamond from JP just said supply chain issues, you know, JP is standing on the rock of supply chain issues are not going to be a concern at all in 2022. Next year, everything's going to go back to normal, is what he said, right? So that's that's a soundbite from CNBC, but dig, digging a lot deeper into that, where he came to that conclusion, that's where we drive the data, right? And we hand it over to the buy side to say, this is why we did what we did, you know? And so that's also very relevant. Another piece that, honestly, because we kind of get lumped into business brokers who are very passive and don't do a whole lot of work. Um, it's very germane, at least for your audience to hear, because you know when we're when we're in the kitchen <laughs> and we're cooking up all the all the secret sauce and all the stuff that needs to be done to make you a very attractive asset. There's a lot that goes into it, and that's just one small aspect, you know. So and that's great stuff. So, Chris, I love this conversation. Where can people find Same, out man. more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Yeah, very simple, man. Go to uh, for most of your users, go to Google, and uh, for five percent, they go to Yahoo. Just type in Global Wired Advisors, and we're the first ones to come up. Um, and or just GlobalWiredAdvisors.com. My email address, my my phone number is actually on the website. In this market, we have a lot of founders and owners who like to put in numbers and put in all like, "Hey, I'm doing this and this." So we actually do have a valuation tool. It's a bit off market from, say, what a middle market investment bank or an institution. You don't go to Bank of America Investment Bank or Wells Securities and they have a valuation tool. But founders and owners they love it, so we created one, um, so they can fill that out. We also have a consultation form. Happy to happy to do a consultation with any one of your uh, listeners. That's awesome. I'll definitely have that information on the show notes. So Chris, thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it and continued thank success you. with this organization. All right. Cheers, Michael. Thanks for listening to the Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. 
visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.